Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, my name is Ronell Lehman, and I'm absolutely delighted to be on the Inspiring Leadership Series. Ronell, great to have you here, and what a life you have had. And it's um, the very lovely uh, Rara Plumtree who recommended you. Uh, she found you very inspiring. And perhaps you could just give us a bit of flavor of what you're currently doing. You've got your fingers in a number of different things that you've got involved in and your journey in life into leadership, the kind of things you've been involved in. Perhaps spend a bit of time on that, would you, Renal? Of course, with pleasure. And I'm very grateful to Rara for, for connecting us. Uh, she's um, really awesome. Um, my, uh, my background really is very simple. I started life in recruitment, then went into stockbroking, pre-Big Bang, post-Big Bang. Uh, then financial public relations with two firms and then set up my own marketing communications agency which I ran for 26 years and the one thing that defined me uh, really I suppose wasn't the crisis communications helping clients get on the front page of newspapers be on radio television online the advent of digital but clients used to ring up and say can you help my son or daughter and uh, we did yeah. Uh, we helped them uh, to find what it was that they were looking for. Now, I've often said this, half of them never said thank you, but the other half are all in very senior positions today and very grateful for the assistance they were given. So um, in 16, 2016, I decided to set up Finito, which helps young people over the age of 18, whether they leave school, college or university, to find that meaningful career. And unlike any other careers advice, which you get, we don't let go of you until you succeed. Um, so many students may have 10 minutes of careers advice in three years. Many school leavers, college leavers, uh, might visit their careers office or department, but then they're on their own. And what we always do is we say, it doesn't matter how long it takes you, but we'll work with you till you succeed. And that really does work because everyone's different. Not everybody wants to be an accountant, mm. banker or work in insurance. You know, uh, lots of people want to work in museums or culture or theater or the arts, creative industries. And so we have to be attuned to what they want. And, um, you know, sometimes we have to deal with overbearing parents too, to say that actually, their daughter doesn't want to be a chartered accountant, but um, they understand that. Yeah, and, and I think they say, psychologists, that many of the psychological problems that we have are often the unmet needs of our parents. Uh, I remember my, my late mother uh, always used to tell me off for yawning. I said, darling, generals don't yawn. I said, mother, I'm not a general, I'm a lieutenant. No, but one day you'll be a general. And I, of course, I never did become a general, but... Uh, uh, yeah, there is that always uh, the, the problems of what parents want and the over anxious, overachieving parents. 
And finito, is that because you take them to the finish? I mean, how did you choose the name? It's quite fun. Well, actually, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful story. I've been, having had a, a lifetime in marketing, I prepared this very large sheet of possible names. And I met with um, uh, a contemporary of mine who's now on my advisory board, uh, Elizabeth Diafaria. And um, I said to her, look, you know, these are the names I've come up for, for the business. And, and what do you think? And she looked at, looked at me and tuttered and she just looked up from the list and said, have you thought about Finito? And I went, that's incredible. Literally, I said, I love that. And that evening I registered it. And um, of course it's now trademarked and all the URLs and so on. And uh, she uh, serves on my advisory board. And I'm very, very grateful to her for, for having come up with, with the name. Um, if you look at urban slang, uh, which is quite important um, because of social mobility and because of outreach and engagement. Um, it actually does say that if I don't pass my maths exam, my dad says I'll be finito. And um, on the other hand, it's quite it, it, it works across all the uh, divides, and it's, yeah. it's a great name. Everyone remembers it. So I'm very grateful to her. Yeah, no, great, great one. And also, I'm very impressed by the amount of um, charitable and thoughtful work and um, a use of your skills over the years. Would you just give us a flavour of some of the things that you've been involved in, both in charities and, and giving your time to help others? Well, it really began at City of London School, where I was educated. Um, I, for some reason, managed to become chairman of the Charity Appeal, and it was Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital. And we raised in that year twice the amount that anyone had ever raised uh, in the history of, of, of the school, which really did get noticed. I mean, £13,400 in those days was a, a huge amount of money. And uh, we bought two dialysis machines. So I suppose I, I learned all about uh, charity and, and giving back uh, at school, which was the best place to learn it. And, you know, it's continued with me ever since. I've been involved in children's hospices, been involved in numerous appeals, and, um, you know, if you actually give something back in life, um, there's nothing, there's nothing better. Yeah. And, and I mean, being involved in children's hospice, it, it's a, a crucial and, and a very sad kind of environment, but yet a lovely, kind way that they look after people in their final stages and particularly caring for the families, too. Is there a particular personal reason why you chose that? D did you have a friend or anybody you knew who was involved? What, what was the draw? I think the first thing was that I was invited to visit one. And I remember going away from the hospice afterwards and literally crying my eyes out. Um, I had never been so moved by what I had seen. And um, these were perfectly uh, civil, uh, beautiful young people who had life limiting diseases and needed care. And uh, I don't I defy anybody not to go and visit a, a children's hospice and not come away uh, as I felt. And so, um, yeah, it was very energizing as well because um, they have to raise all the money themselves each year. Uh, the one hospice that I'm involved with now, and I'm an honorary trustee, is Noah's Ark Children's Hospice. And it took us a few years, um, you know, even with the brilliant Jeremy Isaacs, uh, you know, to raise over 10 million pounds. Uh, and we built it and it opened in 2019. Uh, and then of course, the pandemic struck. 
and uh, you know charities are really struggling at the moment to 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 raise money and of course we all see the big appeals and uh, but it's it's the smaller charities that that, that need the help um, thankfully just before Christmas now as our children's hospice raised over two million pounds wow. through, through a, a matched uh, funding charity extra which was an extraordinary uh, campaign I literally sat at my screen all weekend watching the money that we were raising going up we all all the teams got together it was it was um really awesome and inspiring mm. no and, and congratulations for that because my wife lee founded the charity for vulnerable girls um and she collaborates with many other charities who provide the the young girls and the women who've been through some awful experiences modern day slavery trafficking mental mm. health issues and we try and help them get from education into employment so we meant to link up afterwards there might be some way we could collaborate and um, we're, we're big on collaboration and it's called the inspiring leadership trust so so we'll look out for each other um okay i was just thinking uh, amazing life that you've had and all the things that you've done where does it go back to who were they who were the role models who who were the people as you grew up was it parents grandparents teachers that that you look back on and they they had that perhaps that three minute conversation with you about your career and your life because you're such an inspiration to others trying to help them at their early stage of their career with their lives who who helped you well i have to let you into a little secret i was the worst pupil at school um, of anybody my parents used to get the most horrific school reports about me up until i think the age of about 12, 13. When I joined City of London School, everything was fine. But before then, uh, I really meted out some uh, wicked, <laughs> wicked behaviour. Um, and I think it was just um, uh, growing up. Um, and I had two brothers. I have two brothers who are exceptional academics, brilliant uh, medical practitioners. Um, my youngest brother is a, a doctor on the front line at Northwick Park consultant radiologist. Uh, he's had um, really the toughest time of anyone I know in the last year. My other brother, I'm, my, my middle brother is uh, in, in Canada and is a, a professor, an ophthalmologist. Wow. Um, I was the one that um, probably wanted to be a doctor because I have a lot of compassion, but I never really studied quite like they did. Yeah. Um, and they were very good at exams and I wasn't. So I was immediately judged against uh, my brothers. Uh, I think um, you ask what was that defining moment? I think it probably was at school when um, I was very, very unpopular. And uh, I was about seven or eight. And I think the master took us through, or the teacher took us through a scenario where we had to survive. Um, you know, we'd either been in a plane crash or there'd been a disaster and we had to talk about it. And at the end of the lesson, um, he actually said, there's only one person in this class who would survive, in my opinion. <laughs> and I was the last person that would have thought I'd have been chosen, but I was. I've never forgotten that. Uh, and I don't know whether that uh, spurred me on to survive, uh, overcome adversity, but I always remember it. I think all my uh, contemporaries at school were horrified uh, that he picked on me. I mean, I was the kid that when the master walked in and said, take a seat everywhere, and everybody sat down, I picked up the chair and walked out of the room. 
to much laughter. So you can imagine, um, I was a bit of a scoundrel, really. And you kept the humour up, though. It's it's very important to you, isn't it? And and we were discussing before that 27% greater levels of engagement uh, when leaders have a sense of fun, a bit of laughter, not taking, not cruel, not taking fun out of other people, but being able to laugh at themselves, which you were able to do with take a seat and you took one. Um, how have you... How have you focused on humour and laughter and fun? Well, I think resilience, which we all have, and we can all um, become more resilient, is made easier if you can actually laugh at yourself a bit um, and be self-deprecating, uh, look at things through um, an optimistic lens. I'm a great believer in that. I think that, um, you know, we blame others for everything all the time. I mean, you only have to pick up a newspaper, look at digital social media, look at the news, look at the broadcast news, um, blame governments for everything that can go wrong. Um, but actually we, we have to sometimes look at ourselves and, and, and empower ourselves to be able to, to deal with circumstance. So humor does allow you to do that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a lovely way of doing it. Now you talked about your brothers, what about parents? What was the culture of the family? What were the sort of, were they very strict? Did they sort of drive you with a large bullwhip to achieve great things just like they had? Or what do you reckon? I think my, um, my late father was a very trusted man who never spoke much about his work or his clients. Um, and I think some of those values have um, been instilled, the, the ability to be discreet about things when, when it's important. Uh, my mother's a matriarch, um, absolutely uh, a, a, a dynamo as far as I'm concerned. Um, she has uh, driven me in, in uh, I think even today she, she says, you know, it would be a good idea if I went and, and studied a master's at Harvard. Um, but, but, um, but it's in common with many people who, you know, appear in print or in the news. Um, the first person that they show their press cuttings to are their mothers, you know, because they want to know that, you know, they get the approval. Uh, it doesn't matter who you meet or, or talk to. Um, I learned this during my marketing and public relations years, um, that that was very important. And, and so, yes, we're a close-knit family and she, um, I'm so pleased she got the, the COVID jab a, a couple of weeks ago. Right, so long may she be in good health. I'm yeah. And so, what has shaped the kind of leader you are today? People like Raro describe you as very inspiring. Who did you learn from on the way? And, and who was good role models for you? And who were some appalling ones without mentioning them by name? Because discretion is very important, but yeah. you don't need to name them, but you just need to describe some of their toxic, narcissistic behaviors. And I'm not talking about certain American presidents. I mean, what would, what would you pick on? Um, the people who influenced and the people who uh, taught you how not to behave? Well, I think, um, you know, I run a business which is all about um, employability. And it won't surprise uh, you and, and perhaps many of your listeners that I'm still in contact with all my former bosses. And so if I have to look back, um, those are the people who've really been inspirational. I mean, my very first job was for a man called Trevor James, uh, who um, ran a recruitment business called the IPS Group. It still exists today. It was bought by Blue Arrow Manpower, 
Um, but my, my role when I joined the, the business was to go, in, in addition to my day job, was to go and get his lunch every day. Now, um, you know, I used to go out and get his egg mayonnaise sandwich every day. And every day when I brought it back to him, he used to say that was really good, but could I have a bit more black pepper? So every day I asked for more black pepper to be dispensed into the sandwich. And every day he, Trevor said that was really good, but could I have a bit more black pepper? So on my last day, I got the delicatessens in the city to dispense a whole pepper mill. I mean, the sandwich was black. It, you know, it wasn't, it was egg mayonnaise, but it was black. And do you know what? He ate it and he thanked me and he never flinched. And we still <laughs> laugh about it today. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. No, it's really good. And we were talking about um, what my, my fellow uh, professor at um, Cass Business School, Roger Steer says, it's very important for inspiring leaders, the three hums, humanity, humility, and humor. And uh, you've already made my day. So let's move on during your career. What would be the, a moment that gave you the greatest joy and happiness when you look back on it? And what would be a time which was very personally, a very dark time for you, either from work or personal life? And, and what did you learn from both experiences? Do you know what? I've, I've often been asked um, what was the greatest day? And... Um, I do think it was when I walked up the steps of City of London School, age 13, with my mother. She was helping me up the steps. And I went to that interview. And on the way out, I said to her, I know I've got a place at this school. Okay. And this is the kid that had the worst school reports, uh, drove his parents mad. And she said, well, don't you think you should wait until we actually get the news? And I said, no, no, no. I know that I have got a place at this school. I, I just feel it. And it was the way that the second master, Dennis Moore, shook my hand on the way out. I just knew that I had secured that place. And sure enough, two or three days later, this letter arrived. And I don't think my parents could believe it. Um, I was over the moon. And although that was at 13, um, I cannot remember uh, a moment that filled me with greater um, happiness. Yeah. I really, I, I, I can't. I mean, obviously, there are lots of lovely things that happen in life, and, and but, but that was a really important moment because I was a terror, and then this was my chance to actually go and shine. And, of course, you know, it was a really happy time. It was a great school, um, and they brought out the best in me, and for that I'll always be grateful. Yeah, and think about you as a child. Do you have any children of your own? Do you have? No, sadly, sadly not. But um, uh, it's you know that would be my favourite school if it was possible to send them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, and and I think in some ways, if we can't, we we find ways to to meet those kind of drives and needs. And by you helping so many other children, you've more than met your match. Remember the story of the starfish, the person cooking starfish on the beach. Have you heard the story? No, tell me. So, so imagine you're in the tropics somewhere where they have starfish in the sea and in the coral reefs, let's say, and you're walking along on this beautiful sunny day and all the starfish are washed up on the beach. And there's, there's hundreds, maybe even a thousand or more of them. And you see a little wizened old lady coming down the beach towards you and she's doing something. You can't quite see. It's a bit far off and the surf coming in. And as you get closer, you see she's picking up a starfish and she's throwing it back in the sea. 
And you, you say to her, what are you doing? She said, I'm saving the starfish. And you go, but there's thousands of them dying here. And she said, yes, but I made a difference to this one. And she threw it out. So you will make a difference, Infinito, as the CEO and the founder, even just to one or two people who find that kind of City of London school moment where it changes their life. And um, I think it's, it's very important. And I've got stories of moments in my life, but for another day, when certain moments happened with certain people yeah. who believed in me, like that second master did in you, and it transformed my life. One door closed, another one opened. Yeah. And what about, what about a darker moment or a darkest moment, maybe personally or in your career? And, and what did you learn from it? I have to say it was the, the, the sad passing of my father. Um, you know, I, it was, it's 25 years uh, nearly in March and um, he died too young, he was 69. And um, yeah, that was uh, and still is terrible. Um, and of course, we're speaking at a time when over a hundred thousand people have lost loved ones family members, friends, communities. And so um, it's difficult not to share their grief as well. Um, but that really was a, a, a moment for me. And, um, you know, I find it terrifying um, that now I have a mother and, and I worry about that uh, disproportionately, like any good son does. But uh, I really do miss my father. Yeah. He was a very calm, kind, um, shy man, uh, and uh, he endeared a lot of trust. He was a great person to speak to. There was never any drama. Uh, and he, he always just provided wise counsel. And what, what were his clients? You say he, he was very discreet with his clients. What clients, what was he, his profession? He was, a, he was a banker. He was a bank manager and uh, he helped Lots of people grow businesses when bankers were trusted. Um, no disrespect to bankers today, but but uh, it was a, it was a time when you went and you got the help that you needed. And yeah. he's he worked with many companies that are still around today. Um, that remember his his kindness and the fact that he believed in them. Yeah, it, it is very important. And and there was the day when I mean, bank managers today still have people's respect, but but not in the way I think they did there. My great-grandfather was a banker um, in a small bank in Halifax in West Yorkshire. Um, and on the site, which is now Lloyd's Bank in Halifax, was our family home. And at one end of that lovely home with horses in the garden and things, you can't imagine what it was like. I've got an old painting of it. But um, he, he had the bank and then there was a night watchman sat down below called Jeff. And Jeff did 25 years as the night watchman and he never missed a peg because they had this clock in his room with a, a face that revolved and he pulled a string and it would knock a peg in to show every quarter of an hour that he was awake and all was well. And, and he said at the end, he said, Jeff, how did you do it? You know, 25 years, you never missed a peg. And he says, well, sir, he said, I got my dog to pull the string, I must be honest. <laughs> Jeff must have been fast asleep. The, the bank was not safe, but Jeff's dog was yanking on this, this rope every now and again to keep the pegs in. Um, thinking back to yourself, age 13, going to see London School, maybe 
uh, at the age of 18 when you were leaving. Knowing what you know now and giving all this advice to people um, so that they, they don't get finitoed, but they find a career. What one bit of advice would you give to people at that crucial stage of going from school into their first job? What, what would be a bit of wisdom that you'd pass on? Well, I think that the, the, the most important thing is to actually know what you're looking for. Yeah. And if you've actually had the chance to have some work experience or an internship or a summer job, I mean, Esther McVeigh, uh, when she was work and pension secretary um, a, a few years ago, she talked about uh, young people aged 13 should be given the chance to go and work on, on a Saturday, a Saturday job. Um, I mean, my father sent me to Church Street Market on a Saturday and Wembley Market on a Sunday one summer. And that was fantastic because it taught you how to deal with people, how to, to, to get on with, with customers and, and be able to make a phone call and, 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 and you build your confidence and your resilience. So I think the problem that we have with, with 18 year olds is that they've been funneled into this academia and they haven't had that experience. And so they're very raw. Um, you know, I, I, I do feel sorry for those who, you know, were leaving school, college or university last year and expected to go and travel for a year or go and do something charitable abroad or, or, or um, you know, go and see and experience new things, not being able to. Um, so that's been tough. And well-being and mental health uh, are clearly at the top of the agenda right now. Yeah, and we'll come, we'll come on to health questions in a moment. I just want to take you around the Inspiring Leadership Compass that we, uh, we uh, found from our research about what makes high-performing individuals. And of course, IQ was always the thing that people measured at school and they said it was very important, but that only accounts for 6% of people's performance in their career and their life. EQ was then the next big thing in the 80s, you remember, that's 30%. And the other bits that we're going to talk about make up the remaining 64%. The first one is MQ, moral integrity, values, beliefs, what you will and won't do. And what we're finding is that your fundamental values must accord with the values of the organization you're joining. If it's a mismatch, it's not going to end well. And either you will not be authentically yourself and you live a life of somebody else. Um, as um, was said, it's far better to be a first class version of yourself and a second-class version of somebody else. I think it was Isadora Duncan said that. But um, what, what fundamental values do you have and what happened when you let them slip and how did you get back on track? Well, that's a, a very uh, deep question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, think, I think the thing is I have bags of enthusiasm um, and, you know, I'm enthusiastic about whatever the situation is, whether it's... Um, exciting or dark, uh, one has to find um, a way of, of getting through any issue or problem. So I do believe that if there's a wall in front of you, you've got to go and climb it. Um, so that's on a very sort of practical, uh, 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 practical way. I, I think it does boil down to resilience. Um, and, you know, we have, we, we are resilient as, as human beings. Um, and we just need to be able to recognize that, you know, when it matters most. Um, so that whatever the challenge is, we are able to, to succeed. I think I see lots of young people who just give up, you know, far too quickly. 
you know, or are lazy or don't answer their mobile phone when an employer is trying to get hold of them or don't reply to an email. You know, these are things, these are basic things, which if you are looking for work or wanting to get on in life, you need to have. So I, I think one really has to be focused on what is right for you. And there's no point taking a job that's wrong for you. You know, I remember getting up at 5.15 in the morning uh, at, at, at Scrimger Vickers, the stockbroker, writing the, you know, the daily news bulletin that went out to all the team. It was a, you know, it wasn't really me, but it was good training. You learnt about companies, you learnt about, you know, financial results, you saw the markets. Um, it, was, it was a good place to be, but it wasn't the right place for me. And um, you, I think some people have to learn by elimination. It's a bit like the medical profession. I see it with my brothers. When, when something's wrong with somebody, they work on a process of elimination. Uh, the, le the least invasive tests first, and they get more detailed and more invasive as they go along. And I think it's the same with young people and careers. Um, you have to try something. It might not be right. It, it might be good to have the qualification, but it might not be the right thing or the right place for you to end up. Yeah. And then, of course, um, and I know this is a very long answer, but you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There are those who can't get jobs. And you say to yourself, well, you remember in the Thatcher's day when enterprise and, and get up and go and the, the ability to start a business. What is the risk for a young person today to start a business? There's less risk right now than at any time. The barriers to entry aren't there. You've got the internet, you've got all this, the ability to, to um, market and sell a service. So I mean, these are all positive things uh, right in, the, in, the, in these dark days. Yeah. Um, so, I, so it's a long answer to your, uh, to your question. Um, yeah. But I think less in percentages um, and more about actually, you know, where are you going? Where, where's the journey and how are you going to get there? And in the, the work you've done as the founder and the CEO of Finito, which of your fundamental values are key in, in, in the organization's values? Where's, where's the resonance between what you believe in and what the organization espouses? I think it, it boils down to wanting to give back. Um, and every single person who works in, in, in the business, whether a business mentor, whether on the advisory board, whether on the management team, whether it's the, the, the photographer who photographs the candidates, whether it's um, uh, the, the journalists who are, who are rewriting the CVs and interviewing the candidates, whether it's the designers, we're all there to help the candidate to progress. And um, we're always wanting to share our experiences about what we went through, which some may think are relevant or irrelevant, but what we know currently the market is looking for. Yeah. And um, th that is the, the, the fundamental thing. It's not just about selling a, 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 an employability service. It's about ensuring that you find the right career, the right meaningful career for yourself. Yeah, that's great. Which leads me on nicely to the second of the eight components, PQ, which is about purpose quotient, meaning and purpose. Why do you do what you do? What, what gives your life meaning and purpose? What's your, your calling? Is it giving back or is there, is there more to it than just that? I actually defy anybody to find a role or a job 
and we are a commercial organization, but we have a bursary, we help those who, who, who perhaps can't afford. Um, to get up in the morning um, and be employed in something that actually does good, uh, that you're thanked for, and that um, people talk about um, and introduce others who need the, 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 the services you provide. I mean, it's, it's this, uh, you know, there are many rewarding roles, but I can't think of a more rewarding one than this. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. And let's get on to the other topic. Thank you for that of uh, HQ, which isn't uh, my military days and headquarters, but it's health quotient. And not many models look at mental, physical health and well-being as part of a model of leadership, but we find it's so fundamental to people's performance. And particularly as organizations are putting themselves under pressure, um, I describe it as in our tours in Iraq, Afghanistan, Bosnia, Northern Ireland, wherever we served Mm. in my 20 years, we'd do six month tours and then we'd have time off to come back and be with our families, rest and recuperate in safety um, before you'd perhaps a a year later go back. But people have been essentially in back to back so far, three six month tours. They're in the third one. Now, if you start the the pandemic from let's say um, April, uh, March, April last year. Um, And so we're seeing health and wellbeing being a really important thing. What do you personally do to keep your health and well-being good, and when you let one of them slip, what, what do you do to get yourself back on track? Well, I think um, firstly we've all had to do the right thing during lockdowns, and it has been difficult because you know we are uh, human beings; we we interact with others, we want to see other people and 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 and, and, and enjoy their company, and it's been difficult being um, locked up at home. And and you know I've got. Uh, uh, colleagues who've got children uh, who are stuck in small flats not much outdoor space and you know having to do homeschooling and uh, work it, it's very very tough um, we've got students who've gone back to university who are stuck in their rooms who find them themselves saying why am I doing this um, uh, degree course I'm not meeting anybody I'm not able to have the, the life that I was expecting uh, my the, the work assessment uh, is taking place in a different way. I want a rent refund. Uh, you know, where is the the sort of blended learning that I was promised? So we've got this wide scale, and then you've got you know our, our parents or my case mother, you know, who's having to self isolate at home for base part of the year. You know, all of those things um, impact. So the only thing you can do is keep fit, get fresh air, eat well, read. Don't watch the news all day, which um, some of us made the mistake at the start, and it, it, it caused you to be depressed uh, every hour of the day, you know, the latest news and statistics. Uh, so I, I sort of limit myself to watching the news once a day. Um, I do scan the, the, the online, but, but I, I just find it better for me. And um, then, of course, uh, do something different that you hadn't done before uh, lockdown, which in my case was start a magazine. Yeah. And we'll talk about the magazine in a moment. And what about sleep, which is such a fundamental part of people's physical and mental health? Are you getting your seven to eight hours unbroken sleep a night? How are you getting on? Yeah. Funnily enough, I was, there was a part of, uh, there was a, a time in this pandemic where I was getting up very, very early in the morning and going to bed very, very late at night. So I wasn't getting the, uh, the, the, the prerequisite seven or eight hours. Um, I think um, that's changed a bit. Um, I think, Working from home 
uh, with email, which is a 24 seven, 365, it's very easy to be, you know, checking your computer always. And um, I'm always somebody who responds very promptly anyway, so it didn't really help. But um, yeah, no, I'm getting uh, the, the right amount of sleep and, and um, trying to do things in moderation. Have you tried the, um, what I call the power nap around about one o'clock? I normally have, uh, every day, I have 25 minutes around about that time. It's yeah. the best tonic ever for longevity and for thinking in the afternoon. Yes, uh, I, I ha I've done that on holiday. I must say I haven't done it in the last year. So um, well, maybe I should put a sign up saying, you know, between one and one thirty, I'm not available. It just could be your lunch and power break. Uh, Absolutely. And just give it a go. See, see how you get on. Thank and you. Um, boundaries is always a big problem for people, particularly during the pandemic, that the, the work, particularly as you're working from home, expands and expands and you're in the same place for work and for home and for the kids. How, how have you seen people manage boundaries better than most people are, which is not good at the moment because the work has been eating into people's lives and weekends and evenings? Well, I think the thing is, um, I, in April last year, I actually found that I was on top of my work and I had time. I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't traveling. I wasn't going to meetings i wasn't um you know stuck on on, on on tubes or driving anywhere you know you would you just found you'd done your work and so uh, you know philip hammond the former chancellor of the exchequer used to famously talk about productivity always you know our productivity is lower than than many other countries in 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 europe uh, and the rest of the world and so um it sort of resonated with me i kept thinking well i've got to do something else then i've got to fill my time because i'm one of these people who who needs to, I need to challenge myself. And um, so I think everyone reacts differently. Um, and uh, there are those who, who will always in life do the bare minimum um, or that, that actually they enjoy doing less and you know they don't work outside office hours and they have maybe a role that doesn't require them to. There are others, you know, look at the teachers, the, the, the teaching profession, who as a kid I gave a really hard time to. Um, you know, I applaud them now because look how they're having to pivot and adjust and be available to uh, their pupils. And, you know, the parents are writing to teachers all the time, day and night about, you know, why they're not looking after their son or daughter properly. So everyone has had to adjust and it's um, it's been tough. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly has. And, and uh, thinking about um, giving advice to people is my next thought. IQ, not just about passing intelligence tests, but wisdom judgment. And, and who's the, almost like the board you couldn't afford, a collection of people that give you wisdom and advice that you turn to? Who do you tend to rely on for good decision-making and how do, you, how do you make good decisions in your work and your life? Well, we're very fortunate to have um, an elite advisory board. I mean, John Griffin, my, uh, who chairs my advisory board, um, you know, he's mentored me for the past three decades. What a man. You know, he founded Addison Lee with one car and he sold the business famously for £350 million in 2013 to the Carlisle Group. Um, if anyone can teach and show you how to scale a business, he's the one. Um, but what a caring, kind and generous hearted man as well. And he's always there. 
uh, and he's been an incredible source of inspiration to me. But then I look around the advisory board and, and uh, Sir Anthony Seldon, the greatest educator uh, in this country, historian, uh, his knowledge and facts and detail is just extraordinary. Quite apart from, I think, 46, it may even be 50 books he's written. Wow. Um, so I go around my advisory board, Dame Mary Richardson, who was at HSBC, dealing with outreach and, and bursaries. I met as a governor at City of London School. Um, she's quite extraordinary, has helped me with how do we reach out, social mobility, um, how do we help those who can't afford our services or need a life chance and um, wouldn't get it otherwise. You know, so the advisory board for me is, is, is preeminent, quite apart from the fact, you know, Elizabeth Diafaria came up with the name Finito, um, which has served us well. I mean, I could go on through all, all of the names. They, yeah. they are incredible. Um, so, uh, yeah, business leaders, um, uh, you know, wise, wise words, wise counsel. And if you can, at least during the pandemic, you've been exposed to so many more because you can hear their story and you can learn from them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And from IQ to EQ, um, you know, clearly you've got a well-developed sense of building rapport, connecting with people, staying in touch with people. Um, how good are you listening, really listening to people without interrupting them and drawing them out to speak about themselves? Tell me how you've learned the techniques of emotional intelligence over the years. Well, I, I, I think when I was um, in my 20s, I didn't listen very much. <laughs> uh, and as I've grown older, I listen much more. I don't, um, I don't speak uh, before I'm ready to... Um, respond to, to, to a question. So with a candidate, I'm often listening to their story and where is it that they want to get to before even imparting a word of wisdom or thought about what I think. Because what I think really doesn't matter, it's what they think. Yeah. And, and it's the same with, with a business mentor. You know, you could be have a few business mentors working with a candidate and sometimes you get a different take about you know, what's the best direction, what's the best support and help we can give them. Um, but listening is the most important thing. I do find that with Zooms and Teams and Skype and Blue Jeans and all these calls, um, sometimes um, you can actually be pausing, but it isn't your pause, it's the, the moment and you can end up um, speaking over somebody. So it's been a whole new um, lesson really in, in listening and then making your point yeah 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 no you've reminded me of that lovely story of um an 18 year old who no child who said to me when i was 18 i couldn't believe how stupid my parents were but when i got to 25 i was amazed how much they'd learned in the intervening seven years <laughs> <laughs> that's lovely, <laughs> Very lovely. Uh, so brand reputation image and in impact bq um, I mean, obviously brand as part of being in a marketing communications business, I couldn't speak to anybody more experienced, but on a personal level, your people's personal brand, what would you advise people about sort of personal brand and reputation and image? And you talked about trust and being trustworthy. What, what advice would you give to people listening? Well, I think trust, integrity, um, the ability to communicate, listen, um, uh, speak with authority, 
uh, and have an opinion that others want to hear about or that you really fervently believe in. Mm. I mean, we, we are in a, in, a, in a world where actually opinion is being challenged. Um, uh, there's a lot of shock and awe. There's a lot of scoops. Uh, there's a lot of um, wish to outscoop someone else's scoop and be more shocking about your commentary so it gets picked up. You know, I think at the end of the day, um, the most important thing is, is um, to live as you wish to live and also not to impose how, what you think on somebody else. Yeah. And what do you do to learn from 360 feedback? Do you, I mean, you're running an organization, you're the CEO. Um, one question I always ask CEOs is, when was the last time you personally were dead wrong? Can I just hear? Oh, yeah, I, I'm dead wrong a lot, uh, a lot of the time. The thing is, you're allowed to make mistakes as long as you don't repeat them. Yeah. Um, so make as many mistakes. I mean, you, you know, sometimes you make an unpopular decision, um, and uh, you know, you 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 can get it wrong, but be humble about it and say, yeah, I got it wrong. It was the right it was the right move, wrong time, or wrong move, right time. Um, I, I tend to do the 360s on others. Um, I can't wait for someone to do one on me. <laughs> well, uh, here's the dare, I'll do it on you, okay? <laughs> um, and, because I do find it very interesting doing 360s on CEOs. Some are very open and they, they take it well. Uh, one fired me as a coach because he didn't want the chairman to know what his 360 was and he just hung on to it and tried to bury it. Um, that always comes back to bite them because the chairman's not stupid and he goes, where's the 360? You know, let's find out about this. Um, and others, the second question is always, how quickly did you realize you were wrong? And the third question is, how quickly did you resolve it? But it always worries me when I ask a CEO, when was the last time you personally were dead wrong? And they went, hmm, was it 1979? Uh, no, I can't think of a time I was wrong, actually. And you know, that's an organization that's got problems. And as, as um, was said by the, uh, the CEO of GE, when the rate of change on the outside is faster than the rate of change on the inside, the end is near. And you've got to keep, as, as you've been doing, you've got to pivot, you've got to change, haven't you? And think about changing to things. What's your legacy? LQ is the final element. What would you like your legacy to be in your lifetime, um, both in your personal life and, and in your work? Well, before I answer that, I just want to say something about the 360, because um, uh, some years ago, I accompanied uh, Sir Richard Branson up to RAF Scampton because he was given the chance to fly with the Red Arrows. And I stood on the tarmac on the runway and he went up and they took him 360 so many times that when he came down, I just thought that is not something I could ever do. And, you know, that was a 360 for a, for a captain of industry like you've never seen. Oh, I, mean, I, 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 I think it was quite extraordinary, you know, standing there and looking up at him going up and, and, and the twists and turns. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, that, that was, uh, uh, that was a, a, a great moment. Yes, I, I remember my time at the Army Staff College and we did visits to the other services from the Army, so to the Navy and um, to the Royal Air Force. In the Navy, they wanted a volunteer to be thrown overboard uh, the destroyer and be hauled back in and rescued. I said, yeah, I'll do that. That was hair raising. 
Um, and with the Royal Air Force, I was put on the G-suit and went up in a fast jet. And boy, I have a lot of respect for those pilots. It's such a tough environment and the speed at which things are coming at you and you're having to register it, which is why I think we'll go for remotely piloted vehicles. A, because the most expensive part of the aircraft is the pilot and it's the most unreliable bit can get ill and that kind of stuff and make poor decisions. And B, a lot of it can be done from the ground and it's, it, you, you're not going to lose a loved one. You can be sitting in a, in a, a little container thousands of miles away from what you're doing. Um, but I didn't, um, I didn't uh, really ask. your legacy. What about your legacy? <laughs> legacy. What's going to be your legacy? Richard Branson, we know his, but what's yours? Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think the thing is we started something which I would love to be continuing long after I've gone. Yeah. I do think there's a disconnect between education and employment. And I think academia is great, but actually preparing people for the world of work is what it's all about. I think it was the previous, uh, Damien Hines, the previous education secretary said, you know, it's about the journey. It isn't about, you know, um, finishing uh, school or college or university or, or getting a master's. It's about what happens to you afterwards. And I think um, that would be um, a fitting legacy if Finita continued and, and helped many more people, not just here, but abroad. That, that would be fantastic, Ronald, if you do that. And you, you've reminded me of a book I read recently, which made quite a profound impact on me, called Life is in the Transitions. Uh, and, and in the writing of that, the author said, we are misled at school, often by teachers, not intentionally, they have basic intentions, that we've got this golden path of, you know, home to school to perhaps university, first job, second, and so on in this, this rise. But it never works like that. It, it's a roller coaster of, of highs and lows and successes and failures. And, and often we, we wait for the transition. When, when I've got through this failure, then I'll get on with my life. Or when I got through this good point, then I'll get back to how things are. But actually it's in the transition that we learn the most about it. And to gather people's life stories, which I'm sure you do in your organization of, of what they've been through and mentors to share their stories and have reverse mentoring with people and things like that would be fascinating. Um, almost at the end, but my, my question would be, with all this um, helping people go on to their careers and helping them with this, this career transition and preparing them best, is there a good book that you'd recommend people read? I mean, you read a lot, I'm sure, or I'm dyslexic, so I listen to audiobooks probably about 60 to 80 a year because um, I'm voracious about reading. Would, would you recommend a good book to me and others that's that's good on people's career transition or even leadership anything health well-being what's what's a book you recommend it's, it's funny um when i set up a, a, my agency i had been ill uh, and i read a book the brothers by ivan fallon and it was the the book about uh, the sarchi brothers oh yeah and uh, he was i believe the sunday times business editor and it was what spurred me on to start the business. And so, uh, although I've read loads of other books since, that's the one that I always recall because I think I, I got well, resigned from the agency and set up my own because I've read the book. Wow. That was a pivotal moment. Yeah. 
And in your travels, have you come across a, a lovely man called Keith Roberts, who was the global CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi? I, I haven't, no. Okay. Well, he's he's a fellow podcaster. He, he oh. I've interviewed him earlier. So when you go through the um, the, the website uh, in the podcast element of JonathanPerks.com, you'll yeah. see Roberts. And I like I've enjoyed this podcast very much. I love the chat with him as well. Uh, very interesting man talking about his experiences and all that went on. So do tap into that. So we're on to the final bit, which is your top tip. So if you perhaps introduce yourself and then share what your top tip would be, please. Well, it's Ronell Lehman. I'm the chief executive of Finito, and I'm delighted to be taking part in the Inspiring Leadership series. Um, I think the top tip for me uh, is um, humour. Most important thing uh, is knowing when to use humour. Um, I believe that we should all laugh more. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't be serious, but it's one of the things that connects people, um, laughter and, and, and humour. And there's a great story, and it's true, and it's not one of our students, but it's the CEO of a property company whose daughter had worked at McDonald's uh, as part of her gap year. And uh, the bank that she was interviewing with, uh, particularly like people who had worked at McDonald's um, because they, uh, they taught you um, everything that you needed to know about customers and, and, and service and, and uh, hygiene and, and all of those important things. And she was sitting, uh, she was seated in front of a panel of four or five bankers. And they asked her, at what age did you want to come and work in the city? And she responded at the age of five, and of course, the whole panel looked at each other and thought, are you sure? And she said, yes. Why is that? She said, well, my father used to have me in the back of the car reading the share prices out to him from the Financial Times. And they said, well, did you find this difficult? And she said, yes, because the newspaper was twice the size of me. She got the job. Wow. And she went home and she said to her father, you know what? You taught me the most important thing, humour. And when to use it. Yeah. That is my top tip. That's brilliant. The newspaper was twice the size of it. Ronel, thank you very much. Uh, stay on the line, but um, as we come to the end, I just want to say thank you for being on the Inspiring Leadership series. Uh, you shared some lovely stories. I know that you're making a huge difference to the lives of people, not only just in Finito, but also in the charity work that you do as well. So thank you for being who you are. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.